Good morning and welcome to Emmanuel this morning and to this time of worship. It's good for us to gather in this place and to uh, worship our God and to uh, learn about his truth and to go out and live that truth everywhere that we go. And so uh, to prepare us this morning, let's go to God in prayer and seek his spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, as we gather on this Sunday, this day, that it's a gift from you like every other day, we pray that as we spend this time worshiping and reflecting and singing and praying, that you would move us in this time, that you would meet us in this time. We thank you for each other and relationships that are here. We thank you for your presence in our lives, that you have a call in our lives, that you gather us in this space. And we just pray that, our, uh, that this may be a genuine time of connecting with you and experiencing your spirit working on us in our lives. And this we pray in your holy name. Amen. We are people gathered by God and we receive his word of greeting. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells among us. Amen. So Renee named the elephant in the room. I'm guessing most of you knew that the topic today was pornography, and I thought I would at least wait till all the younger kids are out before we started that conversation. Uh, Renee has now named it. That is what we are uh, looking at today. Um, I've invited my friend Steve to uh, join me up here today and give his presentation. Steve is an addictions counselor, and so I thought instead of me coming up here and again saying, well, I'm not actually an expert on this kind of stuff and so on, I thought, why don't I actually bring in an expert? And so he's going to now disclaim that he's not really an expert, but nonetheless he is, whatever he says. Nate's story about Steve before I, I have him come up here is, is he came into my office and introduced himself to me right before Steve Ryan my old friend, the addictions counselor, was about to move away. And so shortly after he had begun his introduction, I said, this might sound a little strange, but I think you're going to be my new best friend. <laughs> and so uh, he's still here. <laughs> we got that far anyways. Yeah, <laughs> he felt hooked. Uh, so the passage for today is, is John 3, and I'm going to read 16 to 21. Um, first verse is probably the best-known verse in the Bible. And we'll be looking at that and a bunch of other passages this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world... But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But those who live by the truth come into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure how comfortable I am being known as an expert on pornography, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I'll have to work through that one. But as Eric said, um, yeah, I am an addictions counselor, and um, Eric, in his efforts to force me to be his new best friend, um, <laughs> we meet every four, six weeks, something like that. Uh, we go for a coffee, and we talk about what's going on in the church. We talk about what's going on in my life and with my kids and my wife. Um, last time we were out having a coffee, Eric said to me, hey, tell me what you know about pornography. It's kind of a bit of a, a 
deer in the headlights moment for me. I sat there and I thought, well, here I am faced with this man of God, and he's asking me to talk about pornography. So I think he must have sensed that, and he said, because we're doing this series, and um, you know, I can talk about the spiritual and the moral and all of the, um, the implications that go along with that, but I want somebody to come up and talk about um, the neuroscience of it, the reason why it is an addiction. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my story to start off with. Um, obviously, as you can tell, I'm not originally from Canada. Um, <laughs> originally, I'm from the UK, um, which is a society that's built around the pub. Um, it's, you know, everybody goes there on a Friday night. I mean, I was there every night of the week, but um, on a Friday night to relax, to unwind, to talk about the things that have gone on during the week. It became quite apparent to me later on in life that I was probably addicted to alcohol by the time I was about 18, 19. Um, There's a lot of struggles that went along with that. Um, When I moved to Canada when I was about 24, I discovered drugs. So along with the alcohol, there was a lot of drugs. Um, My life became a mess, which is basically the the thing that is an addiction. Everything was driven by alcohol. Everything was driven by drugs. Um, When I got to the age of 36, which is a while ago now, um, I know I don't look it, but I am 44, (laughs) I figured enough was enough. I'd lost two marriages. Sorry, Eric. I'd lost a house. I'd lost numerous friendships all because of my drive for alcohol and drugs. There was somebody in my life who just had to leave to take care of our little one, who actually took a stand for me um, and said, you know, you've got a problem with alcohol and drugs, but I'm not leaving. She walked me through the early days of my recovery. She helped me go into meetings. She helped me get into outpatient treatment programs, and she supported me through. She took away that stigma that I had about the addiction and allowed me to own it. One of the the contingencies she put on uh, being around to help me was the fact that I came out and told everybody, I have a problem with alcohol, I have a problem with drugs, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict. That was a huge step for me to actually stand up in front of people and say those words. I think the first time I did it was in front of a room not much smaller than this knees were going like this, standing up in front of everybody, and I had to stand there and say, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. It was a huge deal, but it took away that stigma, and it allowed me to own it, and it allowed others to support me with it too, which is a huge thing to do. But that's not the topic of today. We're not here to talk about drugs and alcohol, but I thought it's quite important because after a couple of years of sobriety, I stepped into into school, and I started to study addiction. I started to learn about what addiction is. And it became quite apparent to me, after a while, that addiction is addiction is addiction. And that was a, a phrase that was thrown around a lot when I was in school. It was a, uh, you know, a, a big topic of conversation. Well, how can that be an addiction if it's, if it's not a substance? So, I mean, obviously there's the, the substance addiction. Things like alcohol, things like heroin, cocaine, crack cocaine, marijuana. Yeah, believe it or believe it not, marijuana is addictive. You can sit there and say it's not because it's a plant, but it is. It's addictive. I'll get into the reasons that is later on. Caffeine. (laughs) Sugar. 
They're all addictive. And it's important that we recognize that that is addiction. Substance creates addiction. But there's reasons that it creates addiction. There's the emotional reasons. It allows us to escape from whatever it is that we're going through. There's the behavioral reasons. You know, how many of you wake up in the morning and you're a bit cranky until you have your first coffee? That would be me. But then there's what they call process addictions. So a process addiction is a behavior, something that we do, that they claim is an addiction. Things like gambling, things like shopping, pornography. It became really apparent to me in my own recovery that once the alcohol and the drugs were out of the way, I wanted to turn to something else. Pornography was one of them. Chocolate ice cream was another. It was quite common to find me on a Monday night after a hard day at work sitting with the tub, eating the whole thing, or in front of the computer. We don't laugh when we talk about that one. So how can something that doesn't involve me taking in a substance be an addiction? Because how can I be addicted to something that I'm not putting into my body, physically putting into my body? It's really important that we recognize that when we are watching porn, we are actually putting something into our body because we're looking at it. It's coming into our body. It's going into our brain. Very, very important because they've done a ton of studies on these things over the years, lots and lots of studies. And the way that they started off doing these studies was um, what they did was, and this was something that Eric found quite comical when we were having this conversation in Tim Hortons, which I'm sure you can imagine was quite interesting. Two guys sitting there in Tim Hortons talking quite openly about pornography. <laughs> we'll cross that bridge another day. <laughs> but they started doing studies on process addiction by looking at rats and mice. The reason that they look at these guys, which is something that Eric found quite comical when I, when I explained this to him, is because a rat and a, a rodent's brain is actually very similar to ours in the way that it's made up. Other than the prefrontal cortex, which is the part on the front. Oh, and I just want to say right off the bat, I am not a neurobiologist, I'm not a brain surgeon, I'm not an expert on the brain, but I have done quite a lot of studies around the neurotransmitters that go along with addiction and the way that they were found. So if you want to come and ask me about your brain, honestly, I don't know. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, so the way that... Um, they do these studies in, in, the, in the beginning is they take a look at rats because their brain is very similar to ours. The way that it produces what they call neurotransmitters in your brain is very, very similar to ours. So what they do is they, they, they put rats in circumstances that create the same kind of stimuli that it would be for a human. So how do they do that with pornography? Like it's not like they can sit it in front of a computer and get it to go through pornography and see how that affects it. They don't do that. So what they did was they looked at the sexual stimulus. And what they did was they took a rat that, in effect, was in heat and put it in the same environment as a male rat. The male rat couldn't control itself. It, it wants to um, get busy. So it does get busy until it's exhausted and then it backs away. What they did then was they took the female rat out and put another one in. The rat, regardless of how exhausted it was, went again until it was exhausted. And they continued this process until the rat died from exhaustion. It couldn't control itself. Every time a new rat was put in front of it that created that stimulus, it could not control itself. 
And the whole time they were doing this, they were looking at the things in its brain that are called neurotransmitters. The neurotransmitters in your brain that, that are responsible for, for addiction, there's a couple of them up there. There's a lot. It's a lot more complicated than this, but I'm trying to keep it as short as I possibly can. There are a lot, a couple of them. Serotonin. Does everyone know what serotonin is? Most people. Makes you feel good, makes you feel happy. Sometimes you eat that big chunk of bread that you know you're not supposed to. Creates serotonin. Norepinephrine. A lot of people aren't so familiar with that one. It's, it's adrenaline. It's that thing, like I'm up here right now, the adrenaline's rushing through me. That's my brain creating norepinephrine. I always have a hard time saying this one. Oxytocin. That's the thing that, it's responsible for a lot of other things, but it's also very strongly linked with sexual arousal. So these three were all being produced in the rat's brain when it was faced with that stimuli. And so was this one. Dopamine. Dopamine is the key to every single addiction. It is the neurotransmitter that is responsible for us wanting to do things time and time and time and time again. It's the neurotransmitter. When I was in school, I remember sitting in a room and there was a psychologist standing at the front of the room and he says, if you want to remember what dopamine is, take a look at the first two letters. Do. Every time our brain produces dopamine, we want to do that again. We want to do it again and again and again. It is the neurotransmitter that is responsible for us wanting to do things. If you can imagine, we're all kind of producing dopamine as we walk around. Constantly. We've got a level. Let's just say for argument's sake that that level is about 100. Okay? When we're little kids and mom gives us a hug, like mom's giving a hug over there, the dopamine level might go to 150. Wow, we remember that. That's great. We want to get that again. Then the dopamine level returns to where it is. Let's say we're out and we have a really great meal with a lot of bread and a lot of pasta and all that stuff that we love. Dopamine levels might go to 200. Wow, that's amazing. We want to do that again. We're out and we meet somebody that we're attracted to. You know, maybe we're getting busy with them. Dopamine levels go to 250. Let's get into substances for a second. When this was explained to me, and I'm yet to find anything that tells me differently, when an individual does crack cocaine, let's say, those dopamine levels go to 1,000. Those individuals, after time are no longer interested in the little things that are down there. They're no longer interested in the hug from mom. They're no longer interested in that great pasta meal. The only thing they're interested in is how can I get my dopamine levels to that level again? Interestingly, when they looked at the rats that were faced with that sexual stimuli, their dopamine levels were at that level too. How can that be? There's no substance that's coming in. What they found was if I can just click back. Dopamine is also linked to other neurotransmitters. So every time we, we produce serotonin, dopamine gets produced. Every time, particularly when we produce norepinephrine, dopamine gets produced. And every time that we produce oxy, oxy, oxytocin, I always have a hard time with that one, 
dopamine gets produced. Now, when you mix all those together, what do you think happens? The dopamine levels through the roof. Now they're starting to look at this and think, hmm, maybe there's something to this process addiction. Maybe it's not just in everybody's head. Maybe it is actually something that we can become addicted to. Thing is, though, like everything, like alcohol, like heroin, like cocaine, like marijuana, like coffee, the brain builds up a tolerance. So the word tolerance means that basically we need more to get the same effect as we did before. So, you know, for those of you that drink alcohol, you might find the first time that you had a drink, you know, one or two drinks and you got a, a buzz. But the more you drink it, the more it takes. For myself, who, you know, found myself as an alcoholic, it took a lot of alcohol for me to get the same buzz that it did in the beginning. That's the same with pornography. So what happens is, because our dopamine levels are at this high, and as I said before, all the other things go to the side and, and, are, and are no longer of interest to that particular individual, we start to build up a tolerance to the dopamine. We're looking for that dopamine high because, you know, we're no longer interested in the pasta meal. We're no longer interested in the hug from mom. But the dopamine high that we had before isn't enough. So we look for more. We start to look for more pornography. We start to objectify women that we're seeing, which I'm sure Eric's going to get into a little bit later on. We start to lose the, the, the moral values that we had before because the drive becomes, I need to see more pornography. In essence, not for the pornography, but when you look at the addiction side of it and the brain side of it, for the dopamine. That becomes the drive. Just the same as in a substance um, addiction, the process addiction is the same. It's the same for gambling. It's the same for shopping. It's the same for those of people that, have, that are workaholics. I don't know if there's any sitting in here. All things that we like to deny, but because of that drive for dopamine, we're no longer able to stop watching the pornography. It becomes the thing that we want to watch. It becomes the thing that we use to escape. It becomes the thing that we use to deal with the emotions, to deal with the feelings that we're going through. And, believe it or believe it not, it actually damages your brain. The picture up there right now is there's a wonderful process that is kind of being pioneered by this, um, this doctor in the States whose name is um, Dr. Amen, which I always find quite interesting. Um, you can Google him. He's got tons and tons of things online. There's a couple of TED Talks that he did that talk about the implications of um, psychiatry being, and I might offend some people in the room now, I don't mean to, but psychiatry being the only medical profession where they don't look at the organ they're treating. They kind of take a guess, and they work around with medication. So what he did was he developed this thing. It's called a SPECT scan, and it's a new way. Well, it's not so new now, but when it came out, it was a new way to look at how things damage your brain. So if you look at the one on the left, that's a healthy brain in a SPECT scan. That's exactly what a brain is supposed to look like when we're doing the things we're supposed to do. We're feeding it the things we're supposed to feed it, whether it's visually or actually eating those things. The one in the middle with all the holes in, those aren't actual holes. What they are, according to this, this scan, is areas of your brain that are no longer working. 
no longer active. So that in the middle is what a brain looks like on a chronic heroin addict. And the one on the right is a chronic pornography addict. When I first saw those, it kind of blew me away. It kind of made it real. It made me understand that while putting substances into my body creates an addiction because of the dopamine, because of the serotonin, because of all those things, and the dangerous chemicals that I'm putting into my body at the same time, process addiction does exactly the same thing. Slowly but surely, chronic pornography addiction is destroying that individual's brain. You can't deny the proof. When it comes to recovery, though, much like recovery from substance use, it's really important that we understand the reasons why we do what we do. When I went through my early recovery, as I said, the substance wasn't there anymore. I was no longer reaching out for alcohol, no longer reaching out for amphetamines, marijuana, all the different things that I was chronically addicted to. But all of a sudden, I wasn't better just because the drugs weren't there. I wasn't, I wasn't well. I wasn't fantastic. I wasn't, you know, living life to the full because something else replaced it. Those things that were replacing it were pornography, were gambling, were um, chocolate ice cream. So I had to understand the reasons why I needed to escape. Why did I need to get away from life? Why could I not just face life on life's terms? Is that me? The main reason is an escape from emotions. It's because we don't want to deal as addicts with life. We don't want to face up to the things that are coming up for us. We don't want to deal with guilt. We don't want to deal with shame. We don't want to deal with sadness. In my case, I didn't want to deal with happiness. I didn't know how to enjoy myself without a drink in my hand or a, or a, a substance inside of me. We have to learn how to avoid that temptation by spotting it. Spot when we're putting ourselves into those circumstances that are going to lead to that temptation, that are going to lead us to want to escape. We have to learn how to understand the emotions that we're going through. We have to learn how to cope with those, those emotions that we're going through. Because when I'm working with people, I don't think I said at the beginning, I work for the Canadian Mental Health Association in, in the city of Brampton as an addictions counselor. When I'm working with people in my day job, I really have to get them to understand addiction is basically a coping mechanism. And we've all got coping mechanisms, every single one of us. All of us cope with life in a certain way. Some of us, you know, exercise a lot, process addiction. Some of us go to work a lot, process addiction. We can go through the list. But we've all got ways that we cope. Substances are a coping mechanism. And they're a coping mechanism for life. And life is the emotions that come up for us. So understanding those emotions, understanding new and healthy ways to deal with those emotions is the key to any recovery, whether it's substance or whether it's process. Getting the right help is also incredibly key. There's a saying in, uh, in any of the um, anonymous fields. I'm trying not to move because this thing keeps crackling. Um, you alone cannot do it, but you alone must do it. 
didn't make sense to me when I first heard that. What I learned over time was that I've got to have the strength to do it, but that strength comes the people that I surround myself with. If I surround myself with the right support, with those people that aren't judging me, with those people that are there, that, are, that will stand with me, then that journey becomes easier. It's still hard, but it becomes easier. And it's no different when, you, when you're stepping into the world of process addiction, in particular pornography. You have to understand the reasons why you do what you do. I deal with lots and lots of young people in my job. Lots of young people. When you remove the substances from them, the first thing they turn to is pornography. Very, very common. When I explain the reasons behind that, it's a bit of an eye-opener for them. But it's about surrounding yourself with the right kind of people. Because recovery is possible if you're willing to do the work. It's also really, really important to get the right information, to get the right education on the reasons why we do the things we do. There's a fantastic website out there that I, I thought was really, really important to put up on the screen. Um, it's a great place to go and educate yourself about the facts of uh, what happens to your brain when it's on pornography. It's called yourbrainonporn.com. Pretty easy one to remember. There's also a book that goes along with it. But education is key because if you're not educated, you don't understand the, the reason why you do the things you do and you just blindly do them. And that's the same with any kind of addiction. With that, I'm going to hand you over to Eric. So as... Uh, thanks, Steve. So as you... Uh, no, we're on a series about relationships, and we are on number four, which is pornography. And uh, it doesn't get any easier next week and the week after. We're doing tougher topics yet. But uh, one of the... Uh, <laughs> He's back. Isn't that great? Um, so a number of people ask me, well, aren't you scared to get up there and have these conversations? I thought, well, not after Steve went up. So um, thanks for that part, too. But... Um, I have been very aware of this as, as a key topic to talk about in the Christian community ever since we did Promise Keepers, right? So if you've ever, men, if you've ever been to a Promise Keepers event, what's one topic that's on every year is pornography. And it made me think, probably they do research and they know that this is an issue and we need to talk about it, right? And really, our main objective today is simply to say this out loud, right? That this is an issue. Um, because basically what we've done is we've kind of buried it. Um, there's a whole range of response to talking about um, pornography. There's those who are blissfully unaware because this isn't affecting their life. If so, at least be understanding and compassionate as you understand that it is a big deal for a lot of people. Um, some people think, what's the big deal, right? So I look at porn. It's, right, this is something that I do. That's probably not so much in the church based on how we've taught along the way, but uh, I've certainly bumped into people sitting in hockey locker rooms and so on, who this is just part of life for them, right? That's how they talk. There's those who are enraged, right? Those who are enraged that we're even talking about this, or if they would hear of somebody near to them who's struggling with pornography, that would just cause them to fly off the handle. Um, own that. It's a, it's a decent response to start, right? As long as you don't stay in that spot. Um, and then, of course, guilt and shame. Right? If you grew up in this sort of subcultural community, I'm pretty sure guilt and shame would be a strong connection for you in, in, in the whole area of pornography as well. So those understanding those kind of reactions, um, I want to talk for... Anyone know what SBD is? 
You do, and you're thinking, what does that have to do with anything? Silent but deadly? Yeah, so you did know. You just didn't think it was connected to pornography. In case you don't know, then sometimes, you know, when you're passing bodily gases, we call those silent but deadly, so now you're all up to speed. Sorry if you didn't know that. I thought everyone knew that. My bad. Anyways, that's just to lighten you up because we're on a tough topic. Is pornography simply a private victimless activity? That would be the argument of those who say, you know, no big deal. Um, And for starters, Steve's already explained why it's not simply because if you use porn, you are a victim of it. Your brain is being affected by it, right? And I remember talking with a group of folks on this conversation on this topic, and it was pointed out somebody has to be in the pornography for there to be pornography and that's a terrifying thought and the way they made that come home they said what if that was your daughter what if that was your son right and then you go yeah those are obviously victims in this right and of course with all addictions so i was i was on a gambling addiction thing about 20 years ago talking with people learning a whole lot about that and realized there too right with something like gambling it affects actually the entire economy right did you know that the interior government is the gambling addict, right? Who runs every single gambling deal, and why do they do that? Well, they're addicted to the money, right? So we pointed out to them, by the way, you're making a mess out of a lot of people's lives. And they said, yes, we know. We will set up counseling centers for them, and we'll hire Steve and people like that to take care of that. But we will not get rid of the gambling centers, right? So none of these things are simply by themselves. Um, anybody who has a, a pornography addiction, that affects the relationships around them, particularly, obviously, if you're married. Um, and I want to think there's another silent but deadly is, is the broader conversation for us as a community, right? So um, I'm okay having this conversation with you because I've already done this in youth group here, and I've had a conversation um, at, at Toronto District Christian High School. I've, I've taught a session on sex, dating, marriage, and all the sexual stuff. And everybody who gets married in this church gets to talk to me about their sex life, right? And this is the thing I can tell you is that if you're my age or older, that's a terrifying conversation, right? Those who are younger than me, those whose weddings I've done, most of them go, oh, yeah, okay, right? I'm happy about that. We're getting past a shameful perspective on our sexuality, right? It sometimes seems that people in the church are all trying to pretend that we're not sexual creatures, right? And if you want to promote pornography as an addiction, stop having conversations about healthy sexuality, right? And pretend that the whole thing is shameful and never talk about it, right? Because that's what drives, right, even further this power um, to look for it elsewhere and in, and in inappropriate ways, right? If you're in healthy relationships and connections, it's a whole lot easier to avoid the dangerous ones. So getting into the scripture stuff, here's a nod to nakedness and sifting through shame, the ideal image of man and woman together in the world is Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 2:25, right after they're created, Adam and his wife Eve were both naked and they felt no shame, right? Kind of a clear connection to what's going on here is Adam and Eve saw each other fully, right? And this isn't just simply about physical nakedness, right? This is really about full disclosure. Adam and Eve felt no shame because they knew each other Completely, And it's striking that the Bible, in Old English anyways, when it talked about a man and woman having a sexual relationship, it would talk about them knowing each other, right? And that was probably kind of that Puritan thing, and we don't want to say the word sex in the Bible, so we're going to say no, right? And we'll all nod at each other and still know what we're talking about, right? 
but what they had, right, and when I teach young adults, because I was asked by Beth to talk to the, um, the underground here about sex and dating and marriage and those kinds of things, and I said to her, so this is my full disclosure to you, I said, if you simply want me to say, don't do it till you're married, get somebody else, because that's a very short conversation. But if you want to talk about the fact that we are actually created as sexual creatures, that there's something incredibly natural about our desire for each other, and that what really is important in the conversation is to say, as you are attracted to somebody, as you get to know them more deeply, as you um, make sure that you also have a spiritual component to that relationship, make sure that it's not just physical, make sure that there's an emotional maturity and that it all comes together, right? Because I want to suggest to you that the problem in our little subculture here is not that people are sleeping together before they get married, though they are. It's that they're not getting married soon enough. All right? So two people come together. God has created you to be attracted. You start a relationship. You learn to pray together. You learn to share your emotions together. You learn to share life together. Then get married because you want to spend the li- your lives together. That's the proper order. All right? And this is a tangent, as you can probably feel. But we say, no, I need $30,000 to get married because I need to have that big wedding. This has been my plan, and I'm going to try and sell this. I have not sold one of these yet, so I want to do one sale on this. Somebody's got to say yes to this. The day you get engaged, the next day come to me, and I will sign the papers, and you'll be married. And on your second anniversary, when you have enough money, have a big party. That's the proper way, because you have been created by God to get to exactly that point when you desire each other and want to be married. Then do it. Obey what God is calling you to do, right? And let the wedding ceremony be something that we do in some other fashion. All right, back on topic. It's connected, trust me. Right? That's about having a depth of relationship on all levels. That'll come back in, yep, this right here. So healthy desire versus lust. So this is, this is something that certainly was part of my growing up, is that growing up, and, and memory is weird, but I'm sort of feeling like I was attracted to girls sexually long before I was capable of being sexual. Right? And if that's weird, then I just exposed myself on the platform. Steve did way worse, so we're doing okay. <laughs> that's also why I brought him in. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Um, but this sense of thinking, wow, I find that person sexually attractive, and then reading this verse, I tell you, says Jesus, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And probably most men can read that, and, and when they're feeling sexual attraction, going, I don't stand a chance, right? Because we have this sort of sense that, well, I found this person sexually attractive, and by the way, you can't not do that, right? If you are a healthy sexual creature, you find other people sexually attractive. That's how we are created. God did that, right? The problem becomes, what do I do with that feeling, that emotion, that connection, and this verse? Notice here what Jesus is doing, though. He's talking about... The Old Testament law, and a lot of people would say, well, I've never killed anybody, so I haven't broken that law. And he says, no, no, if you get angry at somebody, you're already well on the road, you're guilty. Right? And he says, well, I haven't committed adultery with anybody. He says, if you're thinking about it, you better beware because sin happens in the head long before it happens with the body. All right? That's where he's going with this. So this is how I, I work this out. This is how I think this can be incredibly helpful to us, is that when you look at somebody and you're attracted to them, you have two options. Steve already told you, I was going to tell you about the word objectify. You can say, I find that person sexually attractive. I find them beautiful, right? And you can make them this object that's over there that you use to feed your internal pleasure. It's basically called pornography, right? Or you can realize this beautiful person is a human being 
with whom I can enter into some sort of relationship. I can go and talk to them. And you know what happens? Hopefully you've experienced this. You see a beautiful person. You go and talk to them. You start to get to know them and you realize, I value this person on all the other levels as well because they're a creature in relationship. They're a creature who does things for work. They're a person with emotions, right? And you unobjectify them by getting to know them as a person, right? Pornography does not allow you to have a relationship with the person because they're on a screen. I take it you understand that, right? And so it only sets you up to have an inappropriate relationship, an unhelpful relationship, and as Steve explained, something that's going to rot your brain, all right? So, folks, do not feel bad that you feel sexually attracted to other people. I can go this far. Even if you're married, do not feel bad that you're actually sexually attracted to other people because you can't help it. That's how you're created. Now, be very important that I'm clear here that don't act on all those feelings, of course, right? But by stuffing them, pretending them that you can stop yourself from being a sexual creature, you're just going to blow up and then you're probably going to become a porn addict or do something else that's inappropriate, okay? Be honest with who you are. That's actually the, message, the point of all of these messages, Be real about what's going on in your life. Be okay with the fact that you are a sexual creature, right? And as you would say, probably the best way to handle lust is this. Get together, group of people, the same gender, same sexual attraction, and say, by the way, this is what I've been feeling this week. I I, I was really attracted there. I'm sorry that I didn't actually talk to the person and humanize them again. I left them as an object, right? Share that with your friends. Don't share it with the people you're objectifying, by the way. That's creepy, okay? So the... There's a whole lot about this that, right, you need to talk about with somebody, but you need to talk about it in the right places, okay? Um, so Steve told about this many people the first time that I don't recommend that you all do that, by the way, right? That was a special thing because he was being called to be a, a counselor, right? Um, but find that place, right? Nothing breaks the power of addictions and other brokenness in our life, like saying it out loud, right? How do all the A groups work? Hi, my name's Eric, and I'm an alcoholic, right? Hi, my name's Eric, and I'm a porn addict, right? The minute you can say that, the power starts to seep out, right, Steve? Right? Now, I'm human. And and the best part, of course, of all the A groups is everyone goes back, Hi, Eric, which tells you really clearly you've just been accepted exactly the way you are. And I'm pretty sure... That the deep core of all human nature is we want to be loved for who we are. For God so loved the world that he entered in and hung out and lived among us. All right? That's the core. And so finding that place, of course, requires that we get to this place where we actually all admit that we're sexual creatures who have sexual feelings and emotions and attractions, right? And that we're having healthy and open conversations with the appropriate people to lessen the power of those kinds of things. Terrifying, but incredibly powerful and incredibly healing. Okay? And then helping and healing. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So if you find out that someone you love, someone in your family is, is using pornography, is addicted to pornography, it's probably okay to begin with screaming, going, What in the world are you doing? Because that might be your response. If you stay there, I want to suggest to you, you're driving them right back there. Because what do they want? They want to be loved and accepted and embraced as the person that they are. 
right? They're probably confused about all their emotional stuff that's going on, because if you grew up in this community, you're confused about all the emotional stuff that's going on. I can say that I'm part of you, right? So what they need is this conversation. So what, what were you looking for there? What, what's going on for you? What do you feel? How are your dopamine levels? That might not be helpful, right? But now that you understand that, understand that what they're doing is looking for some sort of high that's higher than a hug, right? And so how do you bring somebody back to a place of, I want to embrace you and draw you in, right? There's a gentleness required here, right? And this passage, of course, isn't about pornography. This passage is about people, right? So the message here is like it is with anything else that you bump into in people's lives that's broken. How do you gently enter in? And gentle means that they feel like you're gentle, right? Because we want to help people by saying, you know, I love you, Lance, so I'm going to have to say this to you. And then you just let them have it because you love Lance, right? If Lance isn't feeling loved, you weren't being loving. It's, it's really that simple, all right? If you're not allowing the other person to sense your gentleness and that you want to walk with them. Because my sense is this. Most people struggling with addictions like pornography are dying for somebody to find out and draw them in and walk on the journey with them, right? Somebody to love them in the moment. They're petrified of the fact that they're going to be shamed, that you're going to make them stand up here and tell everybody or something like that, right? Gentleness is about helping the person in a way that actually helps them take that next step. And then exposure, kind of a funny term to use, I guess, with pornography. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. That's a perfect description of shame, right? I am not going anywhere and tell anybody who I really am because I'm embarrassed and ashamed of who I am and all that kind of stuff, and they're all going to laugh at me and all going to hate me, right? And the funny thing is we form this community called the church where everybody's doing exactly that same thing when all of us want exactly the same thing, which is to be loved for exactly who we are, right? So I don't have the actual stats, but you can count on it that there's all kinds of people here. Well, Steve Ray said it. All of us have some addiction, right? And so when you identify yourself as, my name is Eric and this is my addiction, right? I mean, as you were talking about adrenaline, I think I told you last week, right? I ran all last Friday, Saturday, Sunday straight off of, of adrenaline. You know what the hardest thing for me to do when I'm running on adrenaline? Come down, right? It's like detox for me. Right? Monday was detox, right? It's extremely painful because I'm thinking, I should just keep going because this feels really good. And, and you get the shakes. And I'm really exhausted, but I really want to keep going, right? Clearly, that's my addiction. I'm quite aware of that, right? So my name is Eric, and I'm a workaholic, right? I love adrenaline and dopamine. Is that call for me? I'll take it in a minute. <laughs> Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives in the truth... And this is the call for us. We are the people of the light. Whoever lives in the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Of course, everything you do is in the sight of God because God sees everything, right? But if you only come on that side of God's watching you, then that just builds the guilt and the shame. And we're thinking, we forgot this part. God sees everything that you do And so when you expose the truth about your broken self, he says not, well, I can't believe you. Where did you come up with that idea? He says, I know. I saw. I watched. I hurt with you. I know you're looking for something deeper, bigger, fuller. 
and I want to give that to you. So God's call to you is to say, come into the light, not so that you can be exposed for all to see and embarrass and, and deepen and all that stuff that you fear. Come into the light so that He can show you that whatever you're trying to pour into yourself, whether it be pornography or alcohol or whatever else, you're trying to pour it into a God-sized hole. And when you allow Jesus to come and fill that hole, it sounds incredibly simplistic, but it's incredibly powerfully true. When you allow Jesus to come into that hole in your life, He can fill it in a way that all those things you have to pour again and again and again and again, try and get higher and higher and higher levels. Right? Ephesians 5, I think it's 18. Do not be drunk on wine. Do not be addicted to pornography. Do not be a workaholic. Right? But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of whatever, God calls us to let the Spirit come in and fill that place. Now, as you know, I'm going to announce at the end of service that there's people available to do prayer. What I need you to do, I need everybody to come forward for prayer today because we don't want to sign, we don't want to single out anybody as being a porn addict, right? So we all got to go forward so that we don't think, oh, that guy's going forward because he's probably a porn addict, right? We have enough shame in our community. So I'm not kidding. Probably not all of you. Let's go with 50%, right? So turn this person beside you and say, you go forward. <laughs> As long as the one of you goes forward, we're all set. Right? And, of course, you now know that Steve sits here every other week because he works the other weeks. Right? So Steve's a guy you can talk to. kind of gets it. Right? You now know that I understand stuff about this. By the way, I have a whole bunch of people who, who um, I work with this way on, on porn addiction. Right? This is what I simply ask. I said, if I was standing with you, I'm always tempted to do it this way. You want to look at porn now? And they go, no, are you crazy? Right? So I say it this way, it's nicer. If I was standing looking over your shoulder, would you look at porn? No. I said, cool, put me on your shoulder. And it works like this. There's a website called Triple X Church. Anybody, you can do this, right? You go to Triple X Church and you sign up and you send, have them send an email to me. So anytime you go to a dangerous site, and it doesn't work perfectly, so sometimes even when you go to some good sites, it sends me an, an, a message and says, alert, so-and-so who's your partner, right? They're, they're, they're in danger. And then once a week, it'll send me a report saying everything I need to know. Right? So it's like I'm watching your computer with you. Okay? Um, so if you are feeling the challenge on this, go ahead. Right? Please let me know ahead of time. I don't want a flood of emails that I wasn't expecting. Right? You may feel free to have that conversation first. But it works. It's that simple. Right? Another reason to gently work with each other is that simple reason of if I'm honest about what I'm struggling with, it loses its power... And I start to be far more addicted to your love for me, that's a good addiction, than I am to whatever else I was trying to fill that love with. Okay? Take some of these steps, folks. Um, it sort of feels to me like these four sermons, you're all watching and going, wow, he's crazy, he's going to do these four messages, right? And there's going to be this feedback and so on. Nice, thank you. But here's my passion that you do something with this, that you take that first step, that you talk to somebody and that lives are transformed. That would tickle me, right? Whether you think I'm brave or not, I don't really care. What I really want to know is our lives being transformed because we already know the problems out there with all these things. The question is, are we willing to take the steps towards healing? May God bless us on that journey. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible love for us. And we pray that we as a community may become a place where 
there is no greater high than the love we feel from each other and from you as we accept and walk on this journey together. So give us the boldness, Lord Jesus, to go to that place where you open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your love. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your powerful name. Amen. We go with God's word of blessing. The Lord blesses you and he keeps you. He makes his face to shine upon you and is gracious to you. The Lord our God turns his face towards you and gives you his peace now and forevermore. Amen.